Well, let's go ahead and uh, just jump into our lesson tonight. Um, we'll we'll sing a couple of hymns at the end of the service. So um, we're going to be uh, continuing on with what we've uh, been looking at over in the book of First John. I know we've kind of been jumping in and out of that book uh, <laughs> for a while um, because of certain, you know, health issues, but. Uh, uh, we're gonna try to pick up a little bit here where we've uh, been talking about, um, obviously walking in the light and, uh, one of the key things that, uh, really truly again draws us all together and that is, uh, us being in Christ and, and we're gonna see some, some verses here that, uh, are, are pretty, pretty clear about what we're supposed to be doing, um, as believers. Um, when it comes to how we view one another and, uh, again, how we, uh, talk about ourselves. Um, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and then we will get started. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity to, again, uh, study your word tonight. I, I, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, uh, that guides us and directs us as we look at these verses. And uh, I pray, Lord, we just understand the importance behind them, uh, what, uh, what you have revealed to us and why uh, it is so important to understand um, where we come from, who you are, what you've done for us, and what we are supposed to be doing now. Again, I thank you so much for teaching us and uh, just giving this to us that uh, we can understand these things, that we can... Um, just grow in you day to day, that we can have that fellowship together. And, and again, Lord, I just, I pray that, uh, we would, uh, just walk away this evening, Lord, just, uh, desiring to be closer to you so that we can be closer to each other. Lord, I pray you just be with my mind and, uh, my mouth this evening, that you would just use it for your honor and glory and praise, that the things that you desire would only be said and that it would, uh, um, uplift your name and uplift your word and what you have done for us. And I pray all of this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in First uh, John chapter 1. <clears throat> and uh, we're just going to kind of pick up there uh, with verse uh, 5, or uh, uh, excuse me, in verse 3, uh, where we, uh, he had said, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. And again, the reason why he's saying these things, and the reason why he's writing these things, as we talked about uh, the, the purpose behind it, is so that they would have a greater understanding of the importance of fellowship. Now, when people try to define fellowship, they're going to define it in, uh, define it in many different ways. But when you see fellowship in this context and in this manner, which many times we find in scripture, uh, it, it's not quite the same that people think it is today. Uh, people will often think, well, you know, fellowship is, uh, just the coming together of people. That's uh, not quite the case. 
there's a root that is there that we find that is is important, and that is the word fellow. Fellow. If you will, go over to the book of Daniel. Let's take a look at the book of Daniel. I'm going to set my glasses down. You guys are going to be a little blurry tonight. I apologize, but my eyes are a little tired, so um, it's a little easier to read without those. But uh, in the book of uh, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, we find that uh, here's Daniel and um, th- these uh, um, these children that have been taken captive. We find that uh, God uses them in a certain way and gives them, uh, 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 you know, obviously some blessings that not all the rest of the people that were taken uh, had, which the reason being that Daniel purposed in his heart in verse 8, where it says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's portion of, uh, with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And very clear we see over here in this, uh, this group, we find in verse 11, then said Daniel to uh, Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their real names. But what we find is we find these individuals are referred to as fellows. And um, for some reason, I thought I had my reference written down, but it's not listed there. Um, but uh, we find that, uh, that these individuals very clearly are considered his fellows. Uh, now, the important thing to understand with this is that they had the same mindset. They had the same heart set. These individuals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is the more familiar names that we know them by, and Daniel, and as it refers to as Daniel and his three fellows here, these individuals were come together based off of the same purpose and the same intent. These are young individuals that had purposed to not defile themselves. They were going to serve God regardless. That's what brought them together. The Bible also talks about lewd fellows of the baser sort, which were individuals that were uh, brought about to create some havoc in the church. Now, what were they binded by? The fact that they were base individuals, meaning that they were the bottom of the barrel, if you will, kind of the scum that was there. These were people that had bad reputations, uh, didn't care about that, and increased in evil, if you will, uh, more and more and more. They were of the baser sort, meaning that they were very, 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 very low in their moral standards, and how they behaved. Now, we see, obviously, two different individuals here that we're talking about. We're talking about Daniel and his three fellows, and lewd fellows of the baser sort, but what we have is something that binds them together. So if you go back and you look at where he's talking about this fellowship, when we come together in fellowship, we should be coming together in one mind as it talks about in the book of Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 4 specifically talks about that. And if you will turn there, and we see in that passage that God kind of clearly outlines how what his expectation for us is as believers and how we view everyone. And he says in verse 3, he says that we are to endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one spirit, even you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And this is important because as you go down through the rest of the chapter, he begins to outline how you go about doing that. How do you endeavor? And he says there's a lot of things that you have to sacrifice. Be angry and sin not. Uh, make sure that your communication is, you know, truth and love as he goes through the, the list. Uh, being kind, tender-hearted one to another. And I'm just kind of, if you will, cherry-picking some of those to show that that's the purpose behind it. That should be what unifies and brings the body of Christ together. So what John's talking about here with this fellowship in, in John chapter 1, he's saying we're coming together around one central important principle. And that principle is God. And specifically, the principle that we're learning about God is the love of God. And that's what should bring Christians together. Their desire and love for the Savior. That's what should bring us together. Because there's a lot of things that we could probably unite over. If I was to say, you know, you know, start talking about the differences between Democrats and Republicans, we would obviously align on one side. Most of us would. But I guarantee you when you start getting down to, if you will, some of the Republican ideas and some of those things, we would have a tendency to disagree. We are going to have a tendency to disagree about what are our, 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 you know, the best drinks. What is, what are the favorite foods? We're, we're going to have a tendency to disagree with those. And sometimes people try to come together and bind themselves together about something that may be carnal or worldly or of the flesh. I mean, as an example, you, you, you can try to have a church where everybody comes together, uh, um, I'm just going to pick something that, that, that is kind of somewhat that I know about just because of things that I've asked, but people will say, well, we're going to come together as a church because we all love motorcycles. Now we actually had a motorcycle group come here one time and, and they were a Christian group and they, they, they would go and that was part of their outreach and what they would do and, you know, pray the Lord blesses their ministry. They had a desire to see souls saved. That, that, that's an important thing. But but you can't be focused on the purpose of just motorcycles. We can't just all come together because we all want to ha- drive electric vehicles either. Because somebody's going to say, "Well, I don't I, I don't want an electric vehicle." 
People are going to disagree about those things. People try to come together over things like hobbies. But you know what? Hobbies change. Sometimes people get tired of doing the same thing. Sometimes people can't do it anymore. I used to hang around a group of people that would rock climb, and we would rock climb. I'm just too old and frail to do that anymore. <laughs> but again, things change in people's lives, but, but, but the love of God is never changing. God is never changing. And if we come together with that love, that should be where our fellowship is. And that's where he's getting at when he says that you may, uh, that you also may have fellowship with us. And he says the reason that you can have fellowship with us is, as we see here, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. John's saying to the individuals that are the recipient of these letters here, of this letter, He's saying that they can have fellowship with John and the individuals that he's referring to, the disciples, the apostles, because they have the fellowship with God. And that's what brings everybody together. Because if it's not centered around God, it's going to be a different kind of fellowship. And it's not going to last. It's not going to be something that is foundational. And it's not going to be something that's eternal. I want you to think about this. This is this is kind of a side note. Turn, turn over to the book of First Thessalonians. I, I, I just have to point this out. First <clears throat> uh, Thessalonians. Um, in, in 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 chapter four. Uh, at the end of the chapter, he's talking about the rapture. And he, he, he's talking about, um, meeting the Lord in the air. Um, you know, he talks about how it's going to, 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 to come about, uh, the dead in Christ rise first in verse 16. And in verse 17, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I want you to see this this last phrase of that, that verse. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. What's the most comforting part? Meeting in the air or the fact that we're going to be forever with the Lord? That, 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 that should bind us together. That should be something that, that, that when we realize, as it says there, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Never going to be separated. Never going to be apart from him. And that is just such an amazing thing to think about. And if you will, that's what should draw us to the Lord to have fellowship with him. And at the same time should draw us together to give praise and worship over the God that would do this because we love him and care for him. That should bind us together where we love and care for one another. Because if we love and care for the Lord, we're going to do what the Lord tells us to do. 
And in 1 John, he does tell us specifically, there's a commandment that we need to focus on. And that commandment is, love one another. And he starts getting into details about the heart. And he begins to, if you will, introduce this concept in these next few verses here as we get into this. And he writes, he says, these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. And joy comes about with that fellowship. That is an important thing for us to understand. But as we go through and we start looking at this communication of the truth that he talks about, and he talks about there's no darkness in him in verse 5, and this contrast between what is light and what is dark, again, he gets down to the point of, okay, if we're going to say that we have some fellowship with the Lord, we need to clarify a few things. In verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now this becomes important. Because he's saying, if you say that you are having fellowship with God, but you are continually active in something that is anti-Christ, as he begins to talk about, that is against God, that is against his word, we can't have fellowship. Why? Because you're not fellowshipping with God. To say that, 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 that you know, we, we, we uh, you know, as it says here, to say that we have fellowship with him but choose to walk in the darkness, he says, we're lying. He just flat out says, Liar, liar, pants on fire. Because he's clearly identifying an area where an individual is saying one thing, but doing something different. And as we look in this in verse 7 of this passage, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So how do we have fellowship together? It's if we are walking in the light of Christ. And if we're walking in the light of Christ, we are fellowshipping with the Savior. And it becomes an important principle. Uh, take a look at chapter 2. And again, he, he, he sets up a lot of the John, John writes these in such a way, you know, the Lord has them write it in, in a way that just really starts to outline the rest of the book and how it all kind of really supports, you know, one of uh, these principles. Um, and in chapter 2 and in verse 8, he says, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He makes it very clear. He's saying, look, we don't have to remain in darkness. We can live in the light of Christ. Now, again, people have a choice. Now, we're not talking about losing salvation here, but a person can live in the light of Christ and can have a clear, guided pathway for them to walk, lit by the Word of God and His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit being our guide, the Word of God being that light, 
into our feet and a lamp into our path. I might have gotten that backwards, but you, you understand what I'm saying is, is very clearly God outlines those things. But people can make that choice to not read the word of God, to not study the word of God, to not hide it in their heart. And that light is really, really, really diminished. That was one thing that, you know, if you kind of were reading around uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, that was one of the things that he told them specifically not to do. He says, don't add to the word these commandments and don't diminish them. Don't put them lower than what they're supposed to be. And we find this is true where he says, look, you know, this is true. He says, darkness is past. We no longer are children of darkness. We are children of light, as covered in the book of Ephesians. We're no longer children of disobedience and children of wrath. But we're children of that light. That light being Jesus Christ. And he says, you, you know, that, that's the true light that shines. Again, this goes back to John chapter 1, where John calls and specifically names Jesus Christ as capital L, the light. Meaning there is no other light source except him. No other light source is given that title. Capitalization. To show and, Nick, if you will, uh, um, uh, clearly identify the importance and the authority behind him. If you take a look at verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And he begins to show how a person can get into this darkness really quickly. And I will tell you, Verse 9 is a very serious verse. It's a very important verse. Because what he's identifying, he's saying, look, you know, I'm talking about darkness, and immediately people start thinking, well, that's a person that's, you know, of the devil, and they're out there murdering and, and extorting money and robbing banks and dealing drugs, and they're just, you know, they think of them as that low, that blue fellow of the baser sort. But John shows that it, 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 we really don't have to go that far. It's how we respond to the brethren. And he says very clearly, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother. This is a person that says, I have fellowship with God, but I can't stand him. I am in the light, you know, I am in in, in God's light, but I do not like her. He says right here, if if this is hate and hateth his brother, that person is in darkness. That person's in darkness. I mean, that, that that's a real short jump for a lot of people. Now look, trust me. You, you want to find out some of the, you know, how, how people really truly operate? Get one of two jobs. 
either go into law enforcement or become a pastor. And you're going to find out really quickly <laughs> the nature of mankind. You're going to find out real quick. And I tell you, both of those positions can drive a person to become bitter really fast if they're not careful. If they're not careful. But he isn't talking to pastors or law enforcement here. He's talking to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You take a look at verse 11. He says, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness has blinded his eye. That is an individual that can't see anything because they are so focused on how much they hate this person. Now, we understand the, the, the difference between love and hate, and some people may say, well, I don't hate them. I just don't care for them. Well, we need to be really careful with that. Because, again, we have to understand, kind of, if you will, that priority. Didn't Jesus, and we'll get, we'll get to this when we start getting down here a little bit further into chapter 2, but didn't Jesus Christ say at some point in time that you needed to love the Lord and hate your father and mother? Now, what is all that about? But at the same time, he says that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. So do you think that maybe we don't understand the word hate the way that we should? And we start looking at that prioritization, and, and basically the idea and the concept is we have to be willing to put God before everything and put somebody else at a lower level. But when it comes to other believers, we need to put them at a higher level, not in the position of Christ, and maybe we need to be at the lower level. Because what happens is, is when we're above that person and we put them, put ourselves as the priority, we can develop that hate towards an individual because of where they are. Because of their position. Because we have just put them lower in our eyes. Now that's a dangerous thing, especially when we start talking about edification and charity. Because both of those require that we have a preference for the other person. And charity is, again, that love that we have towards an individual that we're willing to sacrifice regardless of our costs because we prefer that person over ourselves. And and we're not really concerned about the consequences of what happens to us because we're preferring the other person. And that's what love starts to, we start to realize that that's, that's what love's about. And he makes it clear here, and I use all this to talk about the darkness to show that, that, that sometimes, you know, we say, oh, hey, yeah, I have fellowship with the Lord, 
But if we've got a problem with a brother and sister in Christ and there is a hatred or a bitterness brewing, then we are the ones that are walking around in darkness. And you know what winds up happening? You'll sit down to the word of God and you'll start trying to read the word of God and nothing will come. You won't find comfort in it. You may not even find conviction. It may just be complete, total, utter radio silence. God does do that, by the way. He did it with the nation of Israel for 400 years. So always keep that in mind that he can pull radio silence on you. <laughs> you pray and pray and pray and, and, and you get this kind of, if you will, impression that is, you know, as you're praying, that, that it's bouncing right off the ceiling and slamming right back down to the floor. When something like that starts to happen, you need to start analyzing, do I have something wrong in my heart towards another person that God loves? Because it's really hard to hate what God loves. And he loves those believers. He loves us. And it's really hard for me to say God loves me and God loves this person, but I hate that person. Now we're doing something that is truly, if you will, counterintuitive to what God has designed us to do. What God has told us to do. And, and, and again, the, the, the key part of this is he begins to identify one of the greatest principles in Scripture, but he identifies this great principle in Scripture to again remind us of what Paul talks about over in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Because as he goes through this, and he talks about where he says, you know, uh, in verse 8, jumping back up to chapter 1, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to... Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God is willing to forgive our sins and he's willing to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins, don't you think we can do the same with people? Well, that's God and I'm not God. Well, he asked you to be perfect and holy like he is. So how about we just start there? Well, we just start with forgiving people. And I tell you, you have to purpose to do that. You really have to purpose to do that. You have to take a look inside yourself and you have to say, okay, I am not going to be the arrogant person that, that basically dictates to another person my relationship of, I, I don't, I, I don't like you. I don't care for you. I hate you and the bitterness towards them because of what they did. What they did, really, does that compare to what we did to God? What our sins did? How how defiant they were in the eyes of the Lord? 
It doesn't compare. So I think that, yeah, there can be forgiveness. And I've seen it. If you watch some of those court cases uh, where it comes to people that have killed or, or murdered individuals, whether it's a manslaughter charge or a murder charge, whether it was drunk driving or it was just some psychopath, and, you know, one of the family members gets up there and says, I don't care about the rest of them, but I forgive you. Did you ever see the one where the officer accidentally shot the man in his own apartment because she thought it was his apartment, or she thought it was her apartment and thought he was an intruder, but she was not altogether there because she was inebriated? And she goes in and she does something like that and they're, they're pronouncing the sentence and, and the family comes up and the brother of the victim comes in and says, I, I forgive you because this is what Jesus said and asks the court if he can hug her. Find that and watch it. It'll bring tears to your eyes. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. And again, this is the kind of thing that John is, if you will, setting us up to have this mindset for. Now, again, we use this verse a lot, you know, when we're talking to individuals about salvation and we, you know, and it's an important verse to do that. But the context of what we're talking about here is again, walking in light and walking in darkness, having fellowship one with another as believers. And this is where this verse is found. And again, if we go back up there to continue where we left off in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And again, fellowship requires the right kind of walk. You cannot walk together if you're not agreed. The scripture talks about that. And here he's making it very clear. He says, if we, if both of us are walking in the light, we can have fellowship. We can have fellowship. We can enjoy that. We can have joy when we come together and we're here as believers and we just get to experience that. That's an amazing thing to think about. And here we are looking at this passage and he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Why would he mention that right there? Because we need to understand the concept that it is the blood of Christ that bonds us and brings us together and we are all forgiven and cleansed. Regardless of what sins we've committed, regardless of what sins we do commit against God and maybe against each other, we need to keep in mind that as he says here very clearly, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Are we willing to forgive that person? 
And he goes right into this next verse where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. There's a false doctrine running around, Reformed theology, that basically says that at some point in time in this life, uh, you are going to have basically what they refer to as the perseverance of the saints, that the Holy Spirit of God will take control of your life and you will never sin ever again. That hasn't happened to me. I can say now I'm 50 years old and that hasn't happened to me. (laughs) Let's think about that for a minute. Now we know that's completely false. Because some of those people that say those type of things, you turn around and you watch them sin and you go, well, what did you, what, what just happened there? Well, I didn't really sin. It was, an, it, it, it was, it was a mistake. What? But I thought that the Holy Spirit was controlling this. Well, yeah, he, he did, and he made me make a mistake. Uh, let's just go ahead and hit the brake pedal right there. And get out of the car because I don't want to be driving with you. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be agreed with that. That's a person that doesn't have the right kind of walk, the right kind of fellowship. Because again, they're deceiving themselves. If a person boasts of themselves and says, I don't need forgiveness of sins because I've never sinned, all of us here would immediately try to stifle the laughter. And just like, no, 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 no. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. I mean, do we need any more verses than that? I think those are pretty clear. Well, not me. Well, so you're calling God a liar. And that's basically what he's saying here. The truth is not in us. But we're the ones that would be lying. And I tell you, there are believers today that walk around as if they've never sinned in their entire life and never will ever again. Case in point would be the Pharisees. That same mindset runs around today. It's just a form of humanism. Well, man is, man is by nature inherently good. And as such, we are inherently going to always do the right thing. So if we put a group of people together, everybody's going to do what is right. Ah, no. People are going to live for themselves. Now, if you take that same group and you put one group on an island over here and you give them no governance, no law, and say just get along with each other, 
you're going to have complete total anarchy and chaos after a while. But you take that same group over here and you show them the word of God and you teach them what God says about sin and the believers over there or the people over there then become believers, there should be a big difference. Now we know if that was Baptist Island, there would be like 50 different segments of it, but that's a different story. But but I say that, you know, kind of in jest to, to point out some of the issues that the reason that people don't fellowship together is because they're not united around the one same thing. Now, I'm not getting ecumenical by any stretch of the imagination. If somebody's doctrine does not align with the word of God, they're not walking in the truth. They're not walking in light. They're walking in darkness. They're walking in darkness. We really shouldn't have fellowship with that. Because we don't want to be drugged into those things. But what happens is, is, is again, you have individuals that are going to declare that and going to say that so that they can have fellowship with the believers. But it's not about them that unites us together. It's about God that unites us together. This is where John's really going. This is why he's heavy on this, this topic in this, in this book. And this book is specifically for believers. It's not for the unbeliever. It's for believers to understand, hey, look, you know what? To quote Rodney King, hey, can't we just all get along? And, and, and again, we have to ask the question why people don't get along. And part of it is because people will say, well, I don't sin or my sin isn't as bad as their sin or, you know, they start, if you will, putting people into these categories. You know, I, I, I like it when, 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 when you meet somebody that is a genuine Christian and immediately you have a connection. It's just like all of a sudden, it's like a breath of fresh air. And, and the spirits are communing together and you're like, oh, this is, this is awesome. And you, and, and both of you are realizing it and you're like, you know, starting to geek out over it and you're getting all excited about it. And the people around you are going, what's going on? That's a good thing. Because so many times we run into people with the wrong spirit. And I say all that because in this same book, he tells us that we need to try the spirits. Why? Because not every spirit is of God. There's spirit of man, there's spirit of devil, there's spirit of other spirits that are really nasty. So here he is, he's he's getting clear. He's saying, look, we need to really ask ourselves, am I truly walking in truth? Am I truly in the truth of the word of God is, am I doing, as he says, truth? And, 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 and I can't deny that I have sin. Otherwise I take away one of the greatest principles of who God is, him being faithful and just. If I say I have no sin, I rob God of that. I take that away from him. 
Because he's the one that is, as it says here, he is faithful and just to forgive sins. If I don't need to have that, then I take away his faithfulness and his justice. People have to be careful about that. But here he says, if we confess our sins, we acknowledge him. We're David over in Psalm 51. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Realizing, you know, as we've talked about, that whole process, if you will, of correction. That involves the conviction, that it involves the confession, that involves uh, the, the, the repentance, that involves all of those elements for the purpose of glorifying God and showing how great and faithful and just He truly is. But some people, some people won't even go that direction. Here's talking about God is faithful and just, and if you will, to a point, it's a little bit of a dig against human beings because we're not faithful and just to forgive. We hold grudges. We hold bitterness. Could you imagine what this world would look like if God held bitterness? I don't think this world would even exist. I, I think we would have torn it in half. I don't, I don't even think that we would have gotten out of the Middle Ages. I don't. Even, I, we probably wouldn't even gotten out of BC <laughs> because of how much bitterness would be there. Uh, you know, God towards us, uh, from God towards us, that, that, that we would just, ha- just, we would destroy ourselves if God held the same type of grudges we had. But in verse 10 here, he says, but if, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, this is the important uh, important principle as he closes out this chapter, and he wants us to get a, you know into this mindset of who God is, the fact that He's faithful and just to forgive, the fact that He has shed His blood for our sins and cleansed us from our sins, the fact that He's talking about light and walking in truth. And here He is. He's saying, "Look, if we say that we have not sinned, we then make God a liar." You realize that that is one of the main purposes that Lucifer goes about and does what he does to make God a liar. Because if he can make God a liar, then he makes God not God. He makes God not God. What do you think that whole episode over in Job was all about? Yeah, there was a lot of refining with Job. There was a lot of purging with his friends that were involved. There's a lot of great principles that are in there. But the overarching principle is the fact that the devil wants to make, if you will, a fool out of God. He wanted to show God that he knew more about his creation than God did. 
He wanted to show that God would be considered a liar because he called Job upright perfect to the devil. That's how he described him. God saying, you see my servant over there? Upright perfect? I.e. not you. <laughs> I mean, he makes it very clear. The devil wanted to make God a liar. So he could usurp him. So he could overthrow him. And he does that on a day-to-day basis. That's why we needed Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sins. Because he is the accuser. And he's not just the accuser, but he's called the accuser of the brethren. We ought not have that same spirit. And if a person comes around and begins to say, well, I, I, I haven't sinned. That's the same satanic spirit and same satanic mindset that's trying to call God a liar. And none of us here would ever dare do that. We would never dare do that. Because we know that that's not true. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. He, he can't lie. Why? Because it's not even remotely in his nature to do so. Mankind can't help himself but to lie. How do I know that? Turn on the news. <clears throat> but it says we make him a liar, but here he gets to this point and he says, and his word is not in us. His word is not in us. And this is the root issue that really truly happens when there is a conflict with brethren. Is that the word of God has been removed from the situation. Conflict occurs because either one or both parties have just determined that God's word doesn't matter. And they're going to do it however they view to do it. There's no preference. There's no looking at ourselves and, and if you will, in the light of God being humble and saying, oh, oh, well, he's forgiven me so much. How can I not be forgiving in my own life with those that offend? It's one of the greatest ways to show the love of God, by the way. To forgive somebody. Regardless of what they've done. To just forgive them. That's an important thing to think about. Because as we get into this next passage, again, I want us to see here in, 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 uh, in chapter two here, 
and we'll we'll end here shortly. But in chapter 2, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you. Again, we've got another reason why he's writing these things. And he says that ye sin not. Because, look, you and I all know that we struggle with sin on a day-to-day basis. Let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves as he was talking about in the previous chapter. Let's not walk around thinking like, oh, hey, I never sinned. Okay? These things are being written so that we would have an understanding of how not to sin. Because if your mindset and your heart set is what John talks about here, your likelihood of sinning goes way down. Goes way down. Now, this is the word of God that is written to us. This is the word of God that we need to have in us. This is the word of God that, that, that we find over there with the passage, thine word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Again, the more of this that is in us, the less of us in the sin comes out. We begin to, we begin to bring it into captivity. And people will, will talk about this in counseling sessions and they'll say, okay, well, you know, I struggle with this thought. I struggle with this mindset. You know, I, I'm struggling with uh, thoughts of depression or thoughts of suicide or thoughts of anxiety or thoughts of fear or thoughts of anger, uh, you know, against somebody that's uncontrolled and things of that nature. And they're struggling with those thoughts in their head. And you bring them over there to Second Corinthians and you say, hey, look, here it says that you can bring those thoughts into captivity and you're like, how do I go about doing that? Many times people will be like, well, I, you know, they kind of fumble over it. But God gives it here, right, right here. He says, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And he makes it very clear here that we don't enter into that sin by entering into this mindset about keeping his commandments, about doing what God says, about going after his word, all of these things that we find. And and you go through this and there's things that you just, I mean, if you're one of those people that underlines and highlights, you can't help you in verse three, where he says, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. People say, well, I just, I just don't feel saved. Well, I guarantee you the reason you don't feel saved is because you're feeling sin. it's because you're so caught up with the sensation of sin. That's what feeling is. And the end result is, is they're so caught up with that that they can't tell that they're saved. And those are important principles. You go on a little bit further, you know, where he says, he that saith, I know him, keepeth not his commandments is a liar. I mean, John just gets right to the point. You know, whoso keepeth his word, in him verily the love of God is perfected. Verse 5 becomes one of the principal verses of this entire book. We want to communicate to God that we love him. 
We want others to understand that love too. We want to learn to love the brethren and the sisters. We want, we want to learn to love one another. How do we go about doing that? Well, what does he say here? He says, whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. And, and did you notice that he used the word perfected? Wait. You meaning that humans can actually be perfect? If you keep his commandments. That's what people don't get. Well, I can't keep his commandments there. Why not? Well, it's just because, it's just because of my sin nature. Well, your sin nature was supposed to be crucified a long time ago. If you consider it dead, you won't. I mean, we really have to begin to understand what, what, what God has given us. And the power behind this book and what this book can do for us. If we keep these things, that's our heart, that's our mindset. It would truly change our lives. It would, it would make such a huge difference. Now again, I understand our version of perfection and what God's version of perfection is, is very different. And again, it's another word that we don't understand that we're going to start looking into. Two key words that we really have to begin to look at in these, in this book is perfected and hate. And dare I say the third one is love. Because again, you ask people what love is in this, in this, you know, in a group of individuals, you'll get a lot of different answers, a lot of different answers. But Lord willing, we're going to get into chapter two a little bit more next week. Uh, really getting into this, uh, well, I guess next week's potluck. So, uh, but, uh, we're going to get into it and get into it a little bit more and really get a good understanding of why God has written these things for us. And he says there that ye sin not, that your joy may be full and that ye sin not. We'll find out more about that, Lord willing, later on. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity to study. Lord, I just pray that we would understand this concept of uh, your love and how we love one another. That, Lord, as we begin to explore this in your word, that it would really truly have an effect in our lives of how we view each other and how you view all of us and what mindset we need to be viewing one another with. And Lord, I pray that we would just view it with your mindset, that we would see that we have forgiveness of sins, that we forgive one another, that we love one another, and that we show that to the world to demonstrate your glory above all. I pray that you take us home tonight safely, and this I ask and pray in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.